0: Hello and welcome to this Rash Decision podcast, where we look at skin related issues, conditions and treatments in an interesting and informative way. I'm Dr Roger Henderson. I'm a GP with a long standing interest in this area of health.
1: And I'm Dr George Moncrief. I was also a GP, though I've now retired from my practice, and I was the chair of the Dermatology Council for England.
0: So today George and I are going to be talking about some of the potential issues and difficulties that can arise when we're using topical steroids in our patients and it's the second of two podcasts about this particular treatment option and if you're with us for the first one where we talked about the basics of topical steroids we do hope you found it helpful. Let's have a chat about some of the potential problems linked to using topical steroids. And I suppose we should go right back to basics to start here, which is the pH of the skin, as that impacts on it in so many ways, doesn't it?
1: Well, you're so right, actually. Yes, the topical steroids are alkaline, and they raise the pH to around 8. Normally, as you know, the skin has a critically important acid mantle which we spoke about in detail in one of our and i think in our earliest podcast and this acid mantle limits the activity of the proteases that break down the corneodesmosomes, those strong bonds that hold the corneocytes together it also favors the adhesion of healthy bacteria at the same time as being antiseptic for things like staph aureus so the acid mantle is really important topical steroids reduce the granular activity in the stratum granulosa and as you remember those granules produce filagrin which creates the the shape of the cells changes the shape of the cells aggregating them into um, stratified squamous epithelium but we also have granules that make these ceramides the oily materials that join up with things like phospholipids and um, triglycerides and cholesterol that form the um, lipid lamella by envelope, the, the oily layer around the corneocytes to seal the skin barrier. And of course, filagrin breaks down into the really important natural moisturizing factors that we discussed before. So those granules are really essential for creating and maintaining the skin barrier, but their granular activity is compromised by topical steroids. And then last time we talked about vasoconstriction, Um, that's the means by which we measure the potency. But for patients that can mean that the skin looks quite pale wherever the topical steroid is applied, and that can be quite unpleasant. But more unpleasant for some patients when that steroid effect wears off, they experience rebound flushing, which can be particularly distressing. Yes, and and then
0: what some of them can understandably do is think, well, I'm going to put some more steroids (laughs) to stop the flushing, and we get into this vicious circle. And they can go on to unexpected longer term use uh, of tropical steroids, perhaps using them for longer than uh, we'd want them to be using them. So say after nine or 12 months of um, tropical steroid use, what's the impact on the skin if someone's been using it for perhaps longer than we or they would want?
1: Nine months, goodness, that sounds a long time, but it's surprising how easy it is Mm. to get that length of treatment. So take, for example, atopic eczema. Somebody with moderate atopic eczema has nine flares a year. Mm. Um, Each of those flares, perhaps needing topical steroids for two to five weeks at least. So they're barely stopping the topical steroids. If you've got more severe eczema, you can have 11 flares or more a year, in which case that patient is never going to come off if they're using steroids to control the flares they're never going to be coming off the steroids and after many weeks or months of, of topical steroid use the number of cell layers in the epidermis is reduced it's actually halved by about nine months um, topical steroids also reduce collagen levels in the dermis now as you know collagen is the protein in the skin that provides structure and strength so without this the skin can stretch producing striae And of course, the support for blood vessels goes, so you get these spontaneous ecchymoses, making it look like very old senile skin, when in fact it's young skin, just without the collagen in the dermis. Topical steroids are also relatively small molecules. They're mostly under 500 kilodaltons, so they're rapidly absorbed and can have systemic effects on the body. To be honest, this is rarely a problem in adults, especially when you're treating relatively small areas, but in infants and babies in whom the body surface area to weight is much greater, it's been shown that just two weeks with a potent topical steroid, such as betnovate can result in pituitary um, adrenal, or hypothalamic pituitary adrenal suppression and suppress normal steroid production and possibly even have effects on the immune system generally and even the bones. So. I'm anxious about using potent topical steroids for more than two weeks, definitely, in a toddler or a young child.
0: Absolutely. And just thinking, uh, as you were saying that, George, I think one of the messages from the wayside pulpit, perhaps, to GPs listening today is maybe when you go back into your surgery, do a little audit of people using a topical steroid because... Um, they can fall under the radar. So they can be prescribed initially for a a particular skin condition. They're put on their, their repeats on their prescribing page. And then every sort of, you know, month or two, they will just ask for another tube of topical steroids. And unless you're switched on, you just think, oh, that's okay, that's safe. It's just a bit of topical steroid. And before you know it, they've had 12 months or 18 months of a topical steroid just being routinely prescribed almost without anyone Noticing. So I think that's a nice little thing for us to remember. Just check that our patients are not falling through the cracks with, with strong topical steroids through no one's fault, really, just by um, it ticking over on the repeat prescribing uh, pathway so if we look at um using topical steroids obviously fantastically helpful and um, we must not forget even though we're talking about the difficulties and issues linked to topical steroids we mustn't forget just what a fantastic treatment they are for so many people but there is a but and that but is that topical steroids can in some situations make some skin skin conditions worse and we mustn't forget those ones
1: yeah absolutely and um, they certainly can actually just while you're saying that i was thinking about um patients who in the past have joined my list and you realize that they are on repeat prescription for a potent topical steroid and i don't want to just issue that without knowing why they're having it and so you bring them in and, and i had a patient a while ago who was on Betnovate repeat prescription for their psoriasis their chronic stable plaque psoriasis mm-hmm. and it, they liked it. It was clean. It was effective. It seemed to do the job. But that's, I think, in my book, fairly dangerous. Interestingly, it's endorsed by NICE. Um, if you look at their NICE guideline in 2012, I think it was, they endorse that as an, an option if they're not responding to a topical steroid with um, vitamin D analogue. They, in fact, say use it twice a day. So I, I hotly disagree with that. But I think the problem with using a topical steroid on its own in psoriasis is it can cause, particularly when you withdraw the treatment, it can cause them to go into a really severe pustular flare, which can take intensive care. It can be generalized and very, very unpleasant. But the more obvious situations where steroids can make things worse are things like rosacea. Um, In rosacea, if you put a steroid on it, it might initially, this anti-inflammatory effect might calm things down a little bit, but then starts to make things dramatically worse and we talk about steroid rosacea, which is subtly different to the, the, the other patterns that we see, but it definitely aggravates rosacea. But the other one that I, I often see is orofacial or perioral dermatitis, which I think mm-hmm. we've discussed in a previous podcast. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever seen this in somebody who hasn't had some steroid exposure yep. to this. Um, I think I I read somebody the other day who said that they thought they'd seen somebody who'd had peri official dermatitis and hadn't had steroids, but I think that's pretty uncommon. And often their steroid exposure is inadvertent. For for example, they didn't appreciate that the canestin HC contained a topical steroid. Or I've actually seen it in a mother who was treating her infant's eczema and hadn't been taking care to wash it off her hands. And that small residue on her hands then touched her face maybe at night time. And even that tiny amount of steroid um, can cause this condition. Interestingly, I've also seen it from a patient who's using an inhaler. So inhalers for yeah. asthma or hay fever, those steroid inhalers can leave a residue on the skin that can trigger this. Mm-hmm. So definitely conditions that can be made worse. Very rarely, patients can become allergic to um, hydrocortisone or um or other steroid molecules. Um, more commonly though, patients become allergic to the preservatives in the cream. So that's why I prefer to use the ointments. They don't have those preservatives. But you can become allergic to a, a topical steroid. And then you're into a nightmarish clinical scenario because they've got a contact dermatitis, which you want to treat with the steroid, but it's the steroid that's driving the contact dermatitis. We mustn't forget also that topical steroids are very broad spectrum immune suppressing agents. So they suppress our ability to keep infection at bay. And In the presence of active infection, particularly fungal, or indeed actually tuberculosis on the skin, um, which is rare, if you use a topical steroid in those situations, it will be a disaster. Um, As far as the fungus is concerned, it just drives it down into the dermis, causing tinea incognito, i.e. hard to recognize Mm -hmm. and hard to treat. You need to go in with a systemic treatment. And on that point, I just remind everybody that Trimavate don't just Trimavate when you aren't sure what you're dealing with. Um, Trimavate contains clobetazone butyrate, a moderately potent topical steroid, similar to Umivate. It contains some oxytetracycline, which is really there for its anti-inflammatory side effects, not as an antibacterial. So quite useful in things like lichen sclerosis. And it doesn't contain an antifungal. It contains an anti-yeast agent, nystatin. So if you've got fungus and you put trimavate on it, you're suppressing the immune system, you're knocking out the bacterial competition, and okay, you're getting rid of a bit of Candida. You will create tinea incognito and give yourself a problem. So I reserve Trimovate for very, very, very occasional use for patients, for example, with things like lichen sclerosis. I certainly don't put it on when I don't know what I'm dealing with. Yeah, obviously sensible. So I think this is a perfect time for us to take the opportunity just to say a few words about our kind sponsor, Aproderm, and their range of emollients and barrier creams. As we know, everyone's skin is unique. In many ways as a GB, it has often been tricky to find an emollient that immediately suited a person and their condition. We know it's not as simple as one condition, one type of emollient. It's often a case of a patient trying an emollient and then going back and forth with several prescriptions and visits to us and other practices or other doctors, which is not ideal for them or for us. Fortunately, Apriderm have developed a genius solution to simplify the whole process of selecting an emollient for both patients and healthcare professionals.
0: Their Apriderm Emollient Starter Pack I love, contains all four of their emollients. And each of those has a unique consistency and a unique level of hydration. So the point here is that with just one prescription, we can give our patients the opportunity to try each one and find the one that works best for them. Now, obviously, this gives patients choice, it aids compliance, vitally important, whilst at the same time, saving time, money, and most importantly, fewer visits, for the patient. Now, as a GP, that ticks every box and it sounds like a perfect answer for me. So because of that, I've been a huge advocate of the Apoderm range for a while now. And it's such a great range of products. I actually use them to moisturize my skin. All are suitable from birth. Uh, and they're free from common irritants and sensitizers, which is so important these days.
1: I have to say that I now love them even more. So if you see patients with dry skin conditions and are a prescriber, simply prescribe the Apriderm Emollient Starter Pack, which incidentally also comes with a handy patient self-care guide. It's a game changer for the world of dermatology.
0: I think I may be guilty of sort of uh, going back in time uh, too much on this podcast to my medical <laughs> student days. But I do remember um, uh, a dermatologist uh, when the question of um, steroid, topical steroid withdrawal was brought up once and it just poo-pooed it so dismissive. Oh, it doesn't happen, my boy. Um, the, one of the things I've learned in my career, um, just through the sheer numbers of patients I've seen, is beware topical steroid withdrawal syndrome, but it's under-recognized, isn't it? It certainly is. Yep. And I think the other thing I've
1: learned over the years is to believe my patients. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> generally speaking, they're right. Um, yes, topical steroid withdrawal syndrome It can be a very upsetting condition indeed, and not least because our profession still dismisses it, and, and we've been extremely slow to acknowledge it as a problem. And I agree with you, it's a heck of a lot more common than the profession appreciates. And studies suggest it affects up to 1 in 10 people who use a topical steroid. So doctors are still being told it's rare. I think it might have been acceptable some years ago, but it's not acceptable today because it is not a rare condition. It's also not helped by having various names, topical steroid withdrawal syndrome, steroid addiction, red skin condition, or even steroid dermatitis. So there are are a number of different names which are probably describing the same thing. But with this condition, patients sometimes describe extreme and really distressing rebound redness, which can be associated with pain, swelling, and even oozing and peeling. These are terrible symptoms, but the patient finds that they're only relieved by applying more steroid. And so they get into this vicious, you can see why it's called steroid addiction, Um, but that just creates this vicious cycle and often their only option is to go cold turkey and it really is cold turkey for a few weeks while their skin is a desperate mess and they must be desperate to put a steroid on it but knowing that that's the worst thing they can do it can develop after just a week or two of use usually with a more potent topical steroid But it can happen quite rapidly, more usually after a longer period of use, and typically affects the most vulnerable areas where the skin barriers at its weakest, so on the face and on the genitals. So you've got somebody with a, a red scrotum that is relieved by topical steroids. Don't go up the strengths. You need to think about another way of managing it. But I couldn't agree with you more. I think as a profession, we need to wake up to this condition, take it seriously and appreciate the need to help these very unfortunate individuals. Um, just telling them to use steroids is not going to be good enough. Yeah. And
0: although, you know, as we've both agreed, tremendously effective, tremendously useful, and in the main often extremely safe, we must not still forget the alternatives uh, to topical corticosteroids. And And sometimes we may all be guilty of jumping in a little bit quickly with topical steroids, without
1: thinking about what could we do before we get to topical corticosteroids yeah and there certainly are important things to think about here i agree all too often doctors slip into prescribing a topical steroid without considering the basic skin care regimen and what they're doing so again thinking about eczemas a common situation where steroids are used spending time talking about soap and detergent avoidance using soap emollient um, soap substitutes and of course using effective emollients optimally and and talking to patients and and giving them enough emollient to be able to do that Mm. Um, so they need to be that's a basic sort of um, background treatment for skin conditions then there are emollients which have non-steroid anti-inflammatory agents such as nicotinamide Um, which I love. I think nicotinamide is a powerful anti-inflammatory agent. And so uh, uh, we've got ADEX gel um, as an example of an emolent which has got nicotinamide in it. But of course, we now have these much more sophisticated topical immune modulators, which provide targeted immune modulation. And they've been around since the beginning of this century. And they don't have the problems that we see with topical steroids. They they preserve the surface pH. They can regranulate the stratum granulosa, um, which has been depleted by steroids. They increase pro-collagen-3 levels in the dermis. And as I've just said, they provide targeted immune modulation, not global immune suppression. Hmm. And nor do they cause the problems of vasoconstriction and the tropical withdrawal syndromes that we see with steroids. of course remember steroids are not licensed for long-term use um these topical immune modulators are also licensed for long-term use so um, it's a really useful point and because they don't cause any skin thinning in fact they are particularly useful for the thin skin areas such as on the face especially around the eyelids well hang on those Thin skin areas are precisely where the barrier is at its weakest and where things like eczema tend to occur. So, around the eyelids, it's the last thing I want to be doing is putting a topical steroid because not only will it cause dramatic thinning, but it can also be absorbed locally and can maybe increase the risk of cataracts and things. Here we have an agent that, if anything, supports the skin barrier. Nice. Unfortunately, <laughs> in my opinion, are two. Influenced by concerns around unit prices. And yeah, a tube of topical syrup costs a few pounds, whereas topical immune modulator costs upwards of 30 pounds for the same volume. But I just think that they didn't acknowledge enough that undertreated inflammatory skin conditions have a real cost to the patient in terms of loss of sleep. Loss of effective work, missed school, missed education, accidents, and of course, all the healthcare costs of seeing a healthcare professional, taking time off work, the doctor and nurse's appointments, and undertreated skin diseases. And I don't think these have been taken into consideration enough when NICE published their advice. They look at the cost of the two treatments and don't acknowledge these hidden costs. <laughs> a bit naughty i sometimes feel wonder whether they should be called the national institute of cost effectiveness because that if you look at some of their articles the word cost effective comes out all the time and i just read them and think oh wouldn't it be lovely to have a national institute of clinical and health excellence because that isn't what they're always talking about they're not talking about excellence they're talking about cost effectiveness and i think that they've got their balance wrong is my little personal speech from the from the pulpit there but I believe we should be looking at these 21st century options much more intelligently and not limiting our therapies to 1950s medicines, which is what topical steroids are. OK, yeah, they're, as you say, they're, they're relatively safe. They are effective. They're very important sometimes. They are cheap. And they're often the most and perhaps usually the most appropriate treatment. But we really shouldn't be blinkered to the alternative. Yeah, that, that's such a good.
0: Place to bring this particular episode to a close, uh, George. And uh, George and I do hope you've found uh, this particular podcast interesting and helpful and that you've learned some things that perhaps you might not have before you started to listen to the podcast, which is
1: always the aim here. Indeed. So, so Roger and I hope you'll join us again next time when we'll be discussing more skin-related conditions. We'd also really like to thank our sponsor, Apridam, for all their help in putting these Rash Decision podcast together. We couldn't have done it without them. So, as always, until the next time, it's
0: goodbye from George. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye.